Hello, and yes, I'm so excited. This is going to be season two of Find Your Way with your host, Q-chan. And this season is going to be all about connection. So this is going to be our first episode. It is going to be about connection. So grab a cup of coffee and enjoy. Hello, hello, and I'm super excited to start this new season. So it's going to be season two of Find Your Way with your host, Q-chan. I'm super excited about this. It's going to be a new I don't know how long we're going to do it, but then I was checking season one. In season one, I did it for six straight months. I started in January. Uh, I took a two-week holiday like I said I was going to so I can structure this season better. So I spoke to a lot of people. I read your comments. I went back and forth with some some of you. And yeah, uh, I decided that we are going to do this season about connection. And I'm very excited about it. Um, there are many things that have happened for the last, you know, few the last two weeks. It's been a roller coaster of emotions, you know, uh, and everyone goes through stuff stuff in life. So, welcome back, dear listeners, to another exciting episode of Find Your Way with your host Q Chan. And today's episode is going to be the learning connection. So, the podcast that is going to let's, we're going to go deep into what is it like the world of connection, exploring topics that matter most to students, us as well, teachers, and you over there, parents. And like I mentioned before, hopefully I can become a parent one of these days. Okay, so we're going to dive into like many different kinds of questions, such as how do these relationships impact education? What kind of recent, you know, research supports the importance of nurturing these relationships and how can teachers and even caregivers foster positive connections uh, you know in the classroom and as and at the same time you know at home okay so uh maybe as you know or if you're new i'm an educational psychologist i also studied uh, cognitive science in education uh psychology clinical psychology and i'm currently a homeroom teacher but at the same time i am the school counselor where i work so i am excited to be here and to discuss you know this um very important role that student teacher relationships uh play in education so let's start off with sharing some of the research uh findings that can shed some light on the impact of the student teacher relationship so there's a study that is just incredibly recent happening between 2020 and 2022 that has uh, provided and I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical with when researchers use the word evidence because it really depends when you're conducting this research um, and also uh, the pool of students and teachers it is going to be different anywhere you go to. So to actually say that this is a fact, you know, it, it does provide evidence that it might be helpful. But again, we have to look at our circumstances in where we live, right? So they, this study provided evidence on the influence of st- student-teacher relationships. So a study published in the Journal of Educational Psychology by Davis and other science and other educators, 2021, examined that uh, the relationship between teacher-student uh, warmth and academic outcomes. So the study found that students who 
perceive higher levels of warmth from their teachers are more likely to engage in positive academic behaviors, such as attendance rates, increased effort, and better academic achievement. So, of course, it really depends what grade you're teaching because it is uh, definitely, you know, like higher rates of attendance uh, in the uh, early learning centers is definitely not going to be, you know, uh, from the student. You know, it's going to be more likely from the caregiver. You know, how the caregiver has time. Did they Were they sick or not? Like, of course, students at that age, they can't attend school by themselves. Uh, however, here in Japan, from grade one, students are allowed to go by themselves even from grade one, which is shocking. <laughs> you know, I, I can't see uh, myself when I was uh, in Mexico grade one going to school by myself it's just insane but well hey Japanese people have a different culture and who am I to judge however when we're talking about you know higher uh, upper grades for sure like when students feel comfortable and accepted with from their teachers they're definitely going to build um different relationship but again going into with the little ones you know I teach the little ones I have been teaching the little ones and you know I, I received a really nice compliment the other day uh, from 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 a co-worker saying that whenever I'm around children it's kind of like magic they're just like drawn to me and it is true like when they when they're crying I don't know I can find them I can talk to them and I can make them feel relaxed and calm within seconds and they stop crying if they're throwing like a massive tantrum I can I'm I'm able to calm them down it's not that not that difficult to me and I can see like a lot of people do struggle with that and yes in my classrooms uh, I have lectures, uh, even even though they're six, seven, or five, six, and even when they were three and four, I, I did this even back then. I talk to them, and I treat them like people. Uh, there are times that, of course, we should differentiate and understand that they are children, but at the same time, they are little people. They do know things that we don't know, and they know when you're talking down to them. Maybe they don't know consciously and they're going to be like hey stop you know i know a little bit more about the, um, the matter i'm just not eloquent enough to explain why like they're not able to do that but they do feel and they do understand this and this is something that i wish most teachers and caregivers could understand just because your child or the student can't verbalize it it doesn't mean that they don't understand. Of course, if we're talking about someone who is in the spectrum, they're going to have, of course, uh, a difficulty in explaining or even grasping the idea of what, of why, you know, a certain action was not the best. Anyway, so yes, for sure, I completely agree with this. Like, I have had tons and tons um, of. I can give you tons and tons of examples of students whom I've seen, you know, just depressed and sad and not wanting to come to school. And then all of a sudden it's just like magic. Bam! It changes. So I'm going to tell you a really quick story. And this is when I was a kinder teacher. I think it was my first year as a kinder teacher. And I saw this student when he was three and four years old. He was like 
alive and full of energy and so happy, just laughing and making jokes and trying his best. Then he goes to uh, next year happens and here we call it like K2 or pre-K and something happened to him that is just like he doesn't want to come to school. He doesn't enjoy it anymore. Comes to my class and I'm like, what happened? And what? What? I just remember this kid just laughing all the time. He was just there sitting like not wanting to do anything. And all of a sudden, I don't know why, but there one of his friends had a Dragon Ball uh water bottle or tea bottle like we call them here in in japan and all of a sudden like i go in and i call the other student out and i go like hey i really like that uh, dragon ball tea bottle and as soon as i said dragon ball this little kid went from being sad and depressed and looking at the floor to like just opening his eyes looking at me like what dragon ball blah, 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 and just started talking about dragon ball non-stop and then after that every single day he wanted to come to school i had a, another little girl who was incredibly shy didn't want to talk but then i started doing an activity called it's it's show and tell but i never did it in in having the person in the middle of the classroom and, do, and presenting to everyone. I, I broke in down into different groups so they would have the uh, the chance to do it four times. So each time they would get better and they, they wouldn't even know. And this girl, she would go back and say, I want to do, do it again and do it again and do it again and do it again. It was amazing. I was just so happy. And for me, it was just like, how can I make, I'm going into the classroom and the first thing that I think is how can I make the shy kids comfortable in order for them to raise their hand and share their opinion of the world, right? That is my objective number one, because if I focus on the high level students, I'm not doing anything, you know, I'm, I'm, yes, maybe I can differentiate and push them a little bit more, but I want to help the kids who are struggling the most, right? So, Let's go to another study, another study by, and you know, when I'm saying names, sometimes I'm not my pronounce them in the correct way. So apologies for that. But this is a study conducted in 2020 by Rim Kaufman. So it also published in the Journal of School Psychology, focused on the effects of positive teacher-student relationships on students' social emotional development. So the research demonstrated that students who experience positive relationship with their teachers exhibit higher levels of self-esteem, better social skills, and increased overall well-being. So funny enough, like this morning, I was running with a friend, a Japanese friend, and he went through the Monbu Kakusho curriculum, which is the basically the national Japanese educational curriculum that every country has. They have a public system, right? And we all have a public system that follows the governmental uh, educational curriculum. And then, of course, we have all the other, you know, private uh, educational foundations that think they are better than their counterparts, right? So I'm in one that is called IB. And IB uh, basically talks about uh, learner profiles, like everyone needs to be a, a, have this 
these profiles in order to become like the role model student. And at the same time, it's all about inquiry-based inquiry learning. So the students will be engaging, engaging in the learning rather than just sitting down and getting instructed or reading a textbook, uh, such as like a Cambridge or like I mentioned before, the Japanese curriculum, national curriculum, right? So I've noticed that it doesn't matter what curriculum you are teaching, if you're able to build positive relationships with your students and those students have positive relationships with their caregivers, of course they're gonna have higher levels of self-esteem, they're gonna be better socially, and just overall, overall, they're gonna be happy. <laughs> Right, they're gonna overall they're going to be happy. They're gonna be happy at home, they're gonna be happy at school. Then you have all sorts of social interactions, right? There are parents who are very open with their language. There are other parents who don't allow certain words to be used at home and so forth. There is no perfect way of teaching. I've spoken to a lot of caregivers and even if their kid gets into a fight, they're getting incredibly upset and they're like, why? We all get, we all get into, um, in, into fights. It is impossible to avoid fights. You are going to get into an argument with someone once in your life. More than once, more than once, uh, with your partner, with your friend, with your teacher. So rather than trying to avoid, you know, these these discussions and arguments, we should teach our kids, you know, whatever age, the skills on how to adapt when you're getting all of these negative feelings inside your body. And rather than calling it negative, because I really don't like the word negative, because being angry is not negative, is just experiencing something in a in a more intense way. So we should we should teach our students how to regulate these emotions. And the thing is, doesn't matter what curriculum curriculum you are studying or you are teaching or you're in, there's no perfect curriculum. I strongly believe if you're able to build positive relationships with the kid, they are overall, they're overall, they're going to be better rather than you paying thousands of dollars or thousands of yens or thousands of Mexican pesos or whatever currency that you are using. It really doesn't matter. Okay, so these findings, I don't think they're enlightening. I think they're... I'm trying to look for the word atarimai, which is in Japanese, like obvious. It's just obvious. But now I want to talk about what kind of strategies can teachers employ, you know, to foster positive student-teacher relationships in the classroom. So according to these researchers, uh, teachers can implement, you know, all sorts of activities and practices to strengthen their relationship with the students. But one one effective approach is to create a supportive classroom environment. So, for instance, teachers can greet students individually at the beginning of each day, showing genuine interest in their well-being. The, this simple act fosters a sense of belonging and helps establish rapport. So what does this mean? You know, I remember watching uh, a YouTube video of a teacher in, I think it was in Thailand, 
And I was so happy with this teacher because this is something that I started doing out of nowhere. I didn't see this. I just started doing it. And every time you say hello to a student, everyone has a different way of saying hello. So how can you connect in a nonverbal way? So I have like a little like, like a little poster. Well, I used to because we moved. Well, anyway, a lot, lots of things happened in the past few months. But anyway, um, I had a poster in which it shows different ways of greeting. Right. One could be a high five. Another one could be like a bow. Another one could be an air high five. Another one could be a hug. Another one could be, you know, touching our our shoes together. Another one would be dancing. So the, the kids every morning, they would choose how they want to greet you. You know, so in this way, first I implement that. Then the kids would come up with their own way and they would say to me, hey, Mr. Q or hey, Mr. Hector. Uh, could we change the way that we greet? Could we do like pretend to, to peel off a banana? I was like, yeah, sure. So let's do that. So then I give them the agency to choose how they want to greet. It doesn't have to be my way. In this way, one more time, it fosters a sense of belonging and also helps establish rapport. The thing is, I've listened to this bunch of times. Teachers complaining that students are not greeting them. The thing is, there's this expectation that you should greet someone with a... If someone says good morning to you, you have to say good morning back. The thing is, while that might be the objective, maybe, just maybe, that student is not comfortable opening their mouth at 7.30 in the morning. Maybe they had a rough morning and maybe they just want to do like a, hey... You know, as long as they're doing something to greet you or you give them the chance to greet you, that's fine. I had a student as well who didn't want to say hello or good morning. And every time she would bring in like a, po <laughs> like a little post-it and I would go like, hello, hey, good morning. How are you today? And then she would just pull out the card and say good morning. <laughs> I just thought it was so funny. And instead of pushing, pushing her and getting angry at her, I just allowed this. And a few months passed, and she didn't need the card anymore. We went from the card to a air high five, to an actual high five, to a bow, to a hug, to a good morning. You know, there are levels. The thing is, we are expecting to go from zero to 100, and a lot of people think that just saying good morning is that easy, while for some is, for some, it's not, okay? Another activity, and also this depends on the grade that we are teaching or the child or uh, or your kid, the age. It really depends on the age. Is use uh, icebreaker games or team team building exercises. So these activities encourage students to collaborate and communicate with uh, one another. And of course, in, in turn, builds trust and cooperation. So for example, teachers can have students participate in, in a very easy one, two truths and a lie, human bingo, to learn more about each other and encourage interaction. The thing is like so funny. The other one that you could do is just charades um, in, in, in a group and each group has to make one and the kids have to guess what is the title of the story. And this is something that I did, uh, well, that I do basically in all of my classes. Additionally, teachers can also incorporate student voice and choice uh, agency into their instructional practices. So giving students opportunities to provide input 
on class activities, projects, or even classroom rules. So like I mentioned before, I come from an IB uh, background in which we encourage students to come up. We don't call them rules. We call them agreements. And, and these are classroom agreements. Somehow IB like locks them or this is maybe my school that does this, you know, locks them into like five different agreements. I think there's just way more agreements that we can come up with depending on the situation and depending on the, the class they were in. But thus far, it's basically five. And this kind of involvement fosters a sense of ownership, right? But the thing is, there is no meaning if we don't reinforce these agreements. Like I remember talking to uh, a friend of mine who is also a teacher and uh, he, him and I will do the same thing. He teaches like upper grades and I teach the, the lower ones. And uh, at the start of the academic school year, of course, we make the agreements. And then three weeks later, we quiz the students. What are the five agreements that we came up with? And the thing is, like, nobody knew <laughs> from both grades. That's insane, right? Grade four, five, and talking to, like, grade ones. Like, I had a couple of grade ones who knew. Of course, there were a couple of grade fours and fives who remember some, but not all of them. So I think these are great examples. And, of course, you can just right now, and nowadays we can just Google everything. But the thing is, like, when you are introducing a new activity, it is also crucial that you don't give up as soon as you started. And maybe it's not working well, but the thing is, like, don't give up that quickly. I've met other teachers who are struggling with kids, and they're like, I tried, like, 21 different things. And then, yeah, they keep record of all the incidents and all the things that they tried. But it's like, stop. You tried 21 different things or, like, several different things in like the span of like two weeks like calm down like just lock one try one for several times and then changing like it's also not fair for the student you're changing expectations all the time um so let's talk about some effective strategies and that i would recommend to try with your students and for example, for me, comes it's a little bit different because I work in a bilingual setting and in, in, in Japan. And the thing is that a lot of the Japanese students trying to speak in English is difficult for them because, like, the grammar is completely different, the accent, the pitch is completely different. But something that we should try and practice a lot is active listening. So teachers can create dedicated moments during class discussions or one-on-one -on -one to actively listen to students. The, uh, this is the thing, like actively listening to students because I've, I've heard, and this is the thing that makes me really sad. I've heard other teachers like, oh, I don't want to listen to anything from this student anymore. Or uh, other things like, I just want to go into the classroom and teach. And I'm like, no, as a teacher, you're a guide, you're a mentor. You know, we are there to support them and to guide them. And it hurts when I listen to other teachers like, I wish this student wasn't in my classroom. Then why are you teaching? Why are you a teacher? Like, What kind of students do you want? Do you just want those kids who sit down and listen to you? Right? So for us as well, we need to practice uh, patience and active listening to students' thoughts, concerns, and ideas. Because I also listen to some teachers downplaying 
um, the concerns of certain students. Like students do say their concerns and, and they go, ah, come on, it's not that big of a deal. Well, maybe not for you, but for them it is, right? Other things that we can utilize is feedback loops to strengthen relationships, so providing constructive feedback, both on academic performance and personal growth. The thing is like most of the feedback that I listen from teachers is just academic. There's not a lot of personal growth feedback. Uh, and this helps students understand that the teacher is invested in their progress, not only in their academical progress, but in their progress as a human being. Okay, so this feedback can be um, can take the form of written comments, conferences, digital platforms that facilitate ongoing communication, you know, for like um, the upper grades who own their own device, depending on the school that you're, are, uh, that you're in. So lastly, collaborative uh, activities into the curriculum uh, promotes the student engagement and strengthen the student-teacher relationship. So one thing is, uh, for example, in my case, you know, talking about technology and science, my kids were really into plants and how plants grow and pollution and waste and all of that, that I kind of tweaked my my unit of inquiry and l started learning more about those kind of things. So the kids felt that they were being heard um, regarding their interest. So doing group projects, peer-to-peer -peer teaching and classroom debates encourage students to work together and learn how to work through arguments and differences of, of opinion and fostering a sense of, you know, friendship and shared responsibility for learning. So thus far, this is what I want to talk about the connection for the first episode of season two. So hopefully you enjoy it. I am so happy to be back. Hopefully we can get to those 500 listeners by the end of summer. I haven't checked how many we have thus far, but I am incredibly excited. So thank you so much. And yes, we're back. We're back. Uh, I don't really know how many episodes I'm going to do for Connection. I have been working on the schedule, but hopefully this can be another meaningful time for you and uh, let's learn together let's keep on going so this was find your way with your host kuchan and thank you so much and see you goodbye